and welcome to the introduction for episode 109. This is an episode that we recorded out of sequence by necessity. Um, it's quite interesting, actually, and it has a lot to do with technology versus nature. And it's not just the idea that technology itself threatens nature, which is clearly going to be an issue when 5G comes along, but consider something like this. The average person has never, probably in their lifetime, ever understood when it's actually noontime. That would be solar noon when the sun is at the highest arc for that day in the sky. If we look at our cell phones or a wristwatch or any artificial timepiece, it will mark noon whenever it wants to, but it has little or nothing to do when the actual thing that marks how long a day is, the sun, is at solar noon. We cover a lot of these ideas and we've got to start to consider what happens to a race of people that completely detach from nature, which we are headed towards, and become wholly involved in technology? Uh, in my view, you become very controllable. But anyhow, let's jump into episode 109 with Jason Lingren. Cheers. All right, man. Welcome to Crow 777 Radio. I have Jason Linger with me today and Wayne McCroy, who is actually an author. This should be an interesting episode. We're going to get a bit into maybe some transhumanism, the technical revolution, which seems to be re trying, attempting to replace our natural world. And we're going to tie a little alchemy into all this, if that is a possible thing. Welcome, Jason. Hello, Crow. How you doing, man? Uh, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. How about you? Well, I... I can't complain. We got a lot warmer. Uh, my wife just got back from San Diego. It's not that warm, but still, it's just about to be green and beautiful here. But anyhow, let's get Wayne in the door. Welcome, Wayne. Hi, Crow. Thanks for having me on. Right on. Um, you're down in Jason's neck of the woods, aren't you? Uh, no, actually, I'm up in Pennsylvania, so I'm a little closer to you. Ah, you're in Jason's ex-neck of the woods, and that's actually a specific reference there being Pennsylvania. <laughs> um, but anyhow, Wayne, uh, you know, some time ago, I don't even know how long, it's maybe close to a year, maybe not quite a year, Jason sent me uh, the book that you wrote, and I, I went through it. So why don't we just open up, why don't you name your book and, and just outline what's in it, and then we'll get into this. Okay, my book is called The Alchemical Tech Revolution, Fulfilling Ancient Esoteric Agendas Through the Use of High Technology. And what my book is about is uh, I was looking at some of the more modern technologies and technological advances that have been going on, and I was able to relate them back to uh, different alchemical principles that stem back from the ancient mystery schools. Well, that's a that's a heck of a good place to start, so let's do it. You know, Jason and I have done quite a bit of work We've kind of dipped our toe in, you know, a lot of people out there don't have much of a background with the idea of the nat, what I consider to be the true natural sciences, which is alchem alchemy. Um, why don't you just go over, let's start by going over some of those principles to make people familiar, um, and then we'll go from there. I assume we're going to kind of bleed into transhumanism here, right? Oh, absolutely, because that is the uh, fulfillment of what the elite power structure in charge today has in mind uh, for the use of this alchemy as it relates to uh, modern-day science. So, so uh, we will get to that. So, so as we get in, I mean, uh, I have asserted many times here that it appears uh, that what's going on in this world is technology is being implemented in a way that makes the implementers of that technology king of this place, but the underlying effort being exerted is to replace the natural world. Um, do, you, do you agree with that kind of idea? I absolutely 100% concur with that. My own research has shown that to be the truth. They're trying to uh, replace our natural alchemical system with an artificial technological system using uh, these alchemical principles for their own betterment. 
All right, Wayne, it's all you. Let's get into some principles. Let's say some lay a little bit of groundwork so people who aren't real familiar uh, can have a, a step to stand on. Okay, well, where I like to start with a lot of this stuff is I'd like to look at seven basic hermetic principles that uh, kind of tie into alchemy. And we'll go ahead and start from there. The first one is called the uh, principle of mentalism. And this one basically uh, is the one that says everything stems from thought, like everything stems from your thought. The reality that we live in could actually uh, be influenced by, by our thoughts and has its origin in, in thought. This also uh, sets off the idea that the collective group mind could actually be equated to the mind of God. So from there, there's a lot of different uh, technological aspects we could look at. With this first principle, uh, which most people will probably be familiar with running into this in, uh, what is it? Is it the Emerald Tablet or the the uh, the other one, the Kabbalion? I forget. It's one of those two um, outlines, these seven principles that you're about to outline pretty well for anyone who wants to know one of the older, supposed older sources of it. But I, I mean, I don't think there's any arguing that first principle. And in alchemy, the idea is, is that there this whole place is almost like the body of God, and yet it's mine that's making it. But uh, I'll, I'll let you go right ahead. Let's let's keep going down the road here. Okay, well, the, the whole concept of uh, the mentalism principle, as it regards to the elites and their, their technocratic plans for it, is what they want to do is they want to merge all the uh, combined consciousness of man together into a collective. Uh, it'll be an artificial intelligence collective, and uh, they're they're doing this through use of uh, advanced technologies such as quantum computers are a big one that they're they've been uh, stepping up with now. Now I've been seeing a lot about the quantum computers coming up in uh, news feeds and things like that. Why don't we break those down real quick for everybody because they have a certain shape and look, don't they, Wayne? Absolutely, they do. <laughs> they uh, the most uh, common one that what you see in the headlines and stuff now is called the D-Wave adiabatic quantum computer. Now, this one is the world's first operational quantum computer, and uh, as far as its shape goes, it's a giant black cube, which once again ties into the Saturnization of, of our world. So let, let me jump in here. Uh, I'm going to ask flat out, um, I'm starting not to accept that quantum computers work in the way they're described, and here's why. Anyone who's gone back through the old texts that precede the ideas that are put forth by Einstein and people who came on the scene later to basically make up what I consider to be nonsense, stating things like there is no ether. I think ether has been proved outright, and I think on a logical, common sense standpoint, we can understand that for anything to propagate through anything, there has to be a medium. If you want to go to the beach and see a wave, that medium needs to be water or there ain't no waves. This is the idea of ether, and yet with quantum computing, what we're being accept, uh, told to accept is that somehow uh, um, a particle happens, something happens with a particle, and then with no connection, no ether, no nothing, this other particle spontaneously, not spontaneously, instantaneously in real time responds. So I got to ask, Wayne, um, what are your thoughts? Do you, do you think they're, they're truthfully describing how quantum computing is working, or do you think there's something else at play here? Well, it's hard to say for certain, but what I can say is uh, quantum physics goes against the uh, Einsteinian principles. I mean, it, it really it operates on a different set of principles than than what we're familiar with as far as the theory of relativity. It's a totally different animal there. 
Right. I uh, mean, in some ways, the the, the quantum ideas start to actually move back towards more spiritual ideas and maybe a little bit more towards alchemy. I mean, would you agree with that? I would. And I I would tend to argue the point. I think that the uh, quantum physics would tend to prove out more of an ether than uh, discounting the ether. The Einsteinian principles are the ones that really came about that uh, discounted the the concept of ether. But I I would argue that uh, because these quantum effects have been uh, shown to happen in different experiments, that there's definitely something there. And this could only be imparted through uh, a medium, like you said. And I would argue that that would have to prove out that the ether is a real thing. And that would also lend to the thought that the alchemical philosophy is more accurate than the Einsteinian philosophy, correct? I would definitely agree with that. I think there's definitely a basis in alchemy. I think uh, ancient man was a lot smarter than we give him credit for, and a lot smarter than we are now. The ancient uh, peoples, they, they knew a lot about their world. I'll, I'll take that a step further. Um, I, I am starting to state openly in a lot of public forums that I, there's a point where science is going to hit the wall, and if they don't go back to these older ideas, there's no moving forward because they won't accept the things that can't be weighed and measured, the materialistic ideas where alchemy is the other side of that coin. And to some degree, we see this in quantum computing, um, but I'm with you wholeheartedly there, Wayne. All right, so the next one we'll talk about is called the principle of vibration. And you gentlemen are familiar with this one. This one states that everything's in a constant state of motion or change. And this one is pretty much undeniable. I mean, you look around in our world and you see it everywhere. Absolutely. Give us a good example how the elite might be using that principle, though. One of the most uh, obvious things we could point to is uh, the electronic psycho warfare that they're using the psychological warfare campaigns. They could use electronics to uh, induce all kinds of mind control technologies now. And that that's one of them. Uh, 5G network, that ties right in, too. It's going to tie in all the Internet of Things. Anything that uses this principle of energy is the principle of vibration. So, like our whole interconnected computer world now, it's all just a one giant network. Now, we've already done an episode on that, and all of us have looked into this. I would say that the 5G network is going to be a very dangerous thing once they get this completely implemented, wouldn't you say? I would absolutely agree. It's been shown to be extremely harmful to biological tissue, first of all. And second of all, you're talking about a level of tyranny that's just unimaginable when they get this whole Internet of Things thing rolling. We're going to have to address this during the course of the conversation, but just to for the average listener out there to give you an idea, they're demonstrating to you how the the principle of vibration is you know techno- technologically being brought to bear. But if we go back to some of the older shows Jason and I have done, from the natural alchemical standpoint, or from the spagyricist, the the alchemist who is only concerned with the plant kingdom or solely concerned with the plant kingdom, um, the vibration rate is what's making say the color of a flower. And so if we look at it from the natural standpoint, you can really see the horrendous nature of what Wayne and Jason were just outlining there, because basically what's being stated in in the oldest text, the naturally based science text, is when you go out and look at a flower, the color tells you a vibration rate, whether it's negative or positive, male or female, electric or magnetic, and these kinds of things. When you flip that switch back over to a technological world, you can kind of start to understand the horrific result that could follow. But I mean, Wayne, when, when the 5G networks come online, um, what do you think the main purpose, I mean, if we set aside that they're supposedly for communication, what do you think the main aim of getting that implemented everywhere actually is? 
I think the ultimate objective is that is a total absolute panopticon control grid. They are going to control everything you, you think and feel and talk about. They're going to want to control every aspect of your life, and that's what it's boiling down to. And this ties in with the whole Internet of Things where every device is going to be communicating with each other, your computer, your phone, your TV, everything is going to be going over this carrier wave, I guess you could say. And it's pretty much going to take a snapshot of your life from moment to moment and transmit that data back to home office, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And uh, at this rate, they already have algorithms in place that uh, know what you're going to do before you do it. They know you better than you know yourself at this point because they're tracking all your data. This has been going on for years, the collection of data. And now that they have all this metadata on people, it's, it's just unbelievable what they're going to be able to roll out once this whole thing is in place. They actually made fun of us recently. Right now, um, I've actually been been working uh, with another friend of Jason's on the idea that uh, what's encoded in some of the information around movies, I think we can all agree that the Marvel Universe has pretty much taken over movie making under the Disney Studios right now. They put out uh, a movie not too long ago called The Winter Soldier, and in that, they openly make fun of what you just pointed out, Wayne, when they're stating things like the, the 21st century is an open book. Um, and by the way, there's this guy way back before Nazi times who wrote the algorithm and told us how to read this book. And in that construct, that storyline, where they're basically making fun of the power they now have, they're pointing out that they've got these weapons that know who's their enemy, but not just who's their enemy now, who will be their enemy in 20 years. So they'll just do away with them all now. So it's a it's a scary, scary time when you begin to consider what's behind that 5G network. And, and so there it is, man. Absolutely. I'll agree with you 100%. That's actually one of my favorite Marvel movies that they've done. And uh, it's 100% true what they're portraying there. Yes. And that's how these people work. They uh, like to put this stuff out in entertainment first so that uh, when it actually starts happening, people aren't unfamiliar with the concept. Or if there are whistleblowers out there or people that call them out on it, like you and I, they'll say, oh, well, that was in the movie. So that's where you got that idea from. But uh, this is how they work. In conspiracy circles, they call this predictive programming. If you want to get into what uh, the people that are considered the Illuminati call it, they call it revelation of the method. Go ahead and explain that, actually. That's a really good point that you just made. Okay. Well, they like to uh, go ahead and, and implement their plans of what they want to do out in the entertainment field first. And that way, uh, how they view this is, this is all based on a concept that I call metaphysical consent. Because I'm sure you gentlemen have seen, in order for these people to enact any kind of uh, type of in, uh, situation or action on you, they have to tell you what they want to do first and get your consent to do so. But how they view your consent is different from you know, how you and I view consent. Uh, the way they view consent is if you don't actually outright oppose what they're saying, they'll just go ahead and do it for you and say, oh, well, you've been, you've been told this is what we're doing, and you consented to it. And that's how they view that. And I call this a concept that's called metaphysical consent. And this somehow, this ties back to uh, a natural law or, you know, what you would probably call common law. It's the whole free will principle of mankind, that they can't violate your free will in accord with natural law. And there's really no no getting around this. So they kind of worked out this cheat method, which I call metaphysical consent. I don't know if anybody else has a different term for that, but that's just what my research has shown and what I call it. Well, I do not consent. 
Yeah, you, you're, you're absolutely spot on, Wayne, and I'll take it a step further. There's actually a perversion in the idea that when you are presented with something, if you do not stand up against it, then that is your consent, whatever it would truly be labeled. I like your term, though. Um, in, in terms of what we're seeing in these Hollywood shows, is it's worse than just getting people to supposedly have consented to a thing. Um, they're getting people to worship the ideas that they're putting out there. In other words, here's this entertainment. The people that are doing it become heroes. They go back and see these movies over and over. So from an alchemical principle, they're also beginning to focus these minds to contribute to this thing that they're doing that if the common person would just wake up, they would not want to contribute to it in the least. But anyhow, let's keep moving. I think we're aware. Principle three, is that correct? Okay, yeah, principle three. This one is the principle of correspondence. And honestly, this one is everything. Yes. Uh, correspondence. This is basically the concept that they're using uh, with this whole quantum physics thing and these quantum technologies. Uh, they're corresponding the, uh, the quantum level to the macro level that we live on. And what they're trying to uh, accomplish through this is they're trying to bring about quantum changes at a macro scale level, which could completely uh, reshape what our reality looks like. And this, once again, ties back to that whole principle where they're trying to pervert natural law and uh, use these alchemical principles to bring about their new modern, uh, what you would call science. I refer to a lot of it as scientism, as do you guys. And uh, with this, they're trying to completely reshape our reality into a form that they want. So I, I just want to comment really quickly here. Correspondence, as you open with, is absolutely maybe one of the biggest deals in what we're going to talk about here. Now, to jump back real quickly to the natural sciences uh, that we call alchemy, correspondence, I will quickly describe kind of a, a thumbnail version. An alchemist is going to go out into the world, and he's going to do basically three overarching process, whether he's a spagyricist making plant-based medicines or an alchemist doing the greater work. He's going to break apart a given thing in this world that has a natural basis, like a mineral, an element, or a plant. He's going to purify the things he has broken apart. Then the alchemical marriage is going to come. But if we shift this quickly so that people listening can understand, let's look at the alchemist that goes, or the spagyricist alchemist, who goes out into the garden, who needs to make a medicine to cure some problem for some person, some human being. He chooses his plant, and the vibration that we just mentioned will help him because when he sees the color of the plant he's after, that will tell him much of how the plant could be used. So he grabs this plant, he breaks it down, he, he purifies the constituent components, and he's getting ready to recombine it or do the alchemical marriage. Now, during the purification pro process, what he's thinking in his mind is nature seems to be a perfect system, but when a plant is broken down to make medicine in this way, only the mind of a human being, which is divine by extension, can make perfect what he's after here. He uses correspondence to bring into the medicine a thing that cannot be seen, smelled, weighed, or maybe even proven that it exists, though he, know it's, he knows it's there. And this is symbolized by the planetary ideas, the energies of nature. So when you consider that back in the day, there were these people who thought there was this divine property, they could imbue these medicinal things they were making. Um, think about the dark side of correspondence now. I mean, are you with me there, Wayne? Oh, absolutely I am. And I, I would say that uh, correspondence in regards to the quantum physics end of things is, quantum physics is kind of a, a man-made thing when you think about it. And uh, what they're trying to do is correspond 
man-made things into the natural system. So uh, this is a merging of uh, an alchemical marriage, if you will, of the unnatural with the natural. And this is totally what they're going for. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt. And, and I think you just summed it up perfectly because we can almost view it as if it was some natural thing, um, then it has whatever divinity our natural world has. But when you start bringing the artificial into it, these are made by men and women, aren't they? And they're fallible. And these are not people who have everyone's best interests. So there's your dark side of the correspondence right there. And I think a lot of people don't really understand just how important the concept of natural laws are. Mark Passio is really good at bringing this up over and over again because he recognizes how important it is. Could you explain that a little bit better, Wayne, though, as, as far as what natural laws are and what they mean? A natural law, basically, these are the immutable laws of uh, this, this place that we call home, that we live in. Uh, these are the divine laws put in place by God, and they're, they're immutable. I mean, there's no changing them. And the people in charge right now, these elites, these technocrats, they are very familiar with natural law and with the whole alchemical principle. And uh, they're seeking to uh, subvert natural law and break the system we're in. I, I think that is spot on, Wayne, and this is exactly why when people hear the word astrology, they roll their eyes, because the powers that be defamed these ideas to lead people away from the value of the sky clock. And in everything we're talking about, let me tell you something. I will remind everybody, in alchemical principle, there is no divorcing yourself from the sky clock. As a matter of fact, the majority of all alchemical things that will ever begin have to be timed to begin in spring. And again, you know, I would urge people to go look up how many for Fortune 500 companies were set up in spring. So what Wayne is pointing out here is a big deal. And this is one of the largest problems Jason and I have had is to point back to the sky clock and try to inform people that it is of the utmost importance, yet you've all been shown that astrology is nonsense. And by the way, there's this other thing called alchemy that used to be a natural science that you've been taught is witchcraft and nonsense. So this is what we face. So Wayne, what you just pointed out is so spot on, I, I can't even say enough about it. Well, as you've said in the past, uh, there's no lie in nature. Uh, if you want to find the truth about something, I mean, look, look to nature and the natural processes. There's no lie in that. And unfortunately, in the uh, high-tech civilization we live in now, everything else is a lie. It's all based on lies. And uh, it's hard to weave through the, the information uh, in any kind of field to get to the truth. So uh, when you start with the alchemical principles and the ba as the base of these things, uh, you start to see some things that you wouldn't normally pick up on. So well stated, Wayne. And again, um, there is a lie in that artificial artificiality, isn't there? Even even the idea of ones and zeros. Jason and I did a whole show to show how zero has no natural existence in this world. In other words, if we were like way back in the day, people who lived in nature and using natural sciences, the idea of zero, the lack of a thing that doesn't exist, yet it's being counted, um, you would see these are lies. These are artificial lies. And in the modern systems we have, we can't even use math. We can't even count without the idea of zero. So, I, I mean, where you're going here, I couldn't agree more fully. And that's a direct representation of digital zeros and ones. And digital, of course, is sort of synonymous with synthetic, isn't it? I would say so. Yeah, digital is kind of synthetic. But then you're also looking at the... Uh the next principle that we're, we're going to talk about, which is the principle of polarity. I mean, there's, there's always these opposite poles. There's a positive and negative pole to everything. So you could kind of argue digital does have 
you know, some of framework in nature, but uh, just how that they've implemented it in computer programming and whatnot is they've made it into something artificial, which it's not. And uh, I'll agree 100%. There's no place in reality for zero. Zero is like not an actual number. Uh, it's a, it was meant initially as a placeholder and nothing more. Actually, I would go so far as to say that what did that the idea of digital is mocking the older alchemical idea of polarity. You see, because in polarity we have everything. We have a positive and a negative. In the same way, a battery can't work without positive or negative. And then men and women carry the same attribution in this duality system we live in. A male carries the positive attribute, a female negative. Male electric, female magnetic. These are things that are, in my view, are being mocked in the idea of one or nothing. I would say more of this polarity is represented, for example, with the Masonic checkerboard floor, the black and the white. I would agree with you, definitely. Uh, masonry, it, it symbolizes this in innumerable ways. I mean, ev everything. It's, it's all based on a dualistic principle. So uh, they they use that. The powers that be, they're they're well aware of this dualistic principle and the positive and negative aspects of things, and they use this all the time as a control system in any different number of ways. Even our political system, they have it divvied up into two different parties, and this is why. Yep. Because it's easier to control when you have your your two opposite spectrums to work from. That way, they can steer the ball whatever in whatever court they want to. Yeah, they they, they give you two choices, but the reality is they're controlling both choices. Well, the, the, the reality is, is you didn't make the choice in the first place, because in, in a normal world, when you walk out into a day, there are nearly infinite choices you could make. So whenever you're prevented, presented with the confines of two choices, you've already been corralled. Um, and it's really not a fair choice if you logically break it down in that way. And that's that's aside knowing that both the choices you could possibly make are wholly controlled. But anyhow, Wayne, where were we? Uh, we were discussing the concept of polarity and uh Basically, it's all an illusion. Like you said, when they control both sides of the argument, they're corralling you into, uh, you know, this little box that they want you in. And uh, that, that kind of hampers your free will and your free will choices. And once again, this falls back to that whole uh, principle of metaphysical consent that I talk about. I actually like what Jordan Maxwell always said about politics. You might get to elect, but you don't get to select. That's the truth. <laughs> and politics, that's just one one spectrum of it, our whole world that we live in, it's, it's all a duality, all of it. And one of the end, uh, end goals that the uh, technocrats want to use uh, these alchemical principles for, especially this polarity one, is they want to uh, merge everything into like a monopole, one polarity, which ties back to what you guys have said about Tavistock, take away variety. Right. Well, they they give you what your options are. For instance, what movies get made and get the big budgets and all that. Only what they want. So whatever is able to be consumed by you is only what they want. Same thing with the music. Same thing with the food in the supermarket. Whatever's out there is out there because they decided to. And if you try to get into their system, let's say you want a movie made or put out some music, and it doesn't go along with their program, well, guess what? You're not going to get taken along for the ride. That's right. And they have this kind of control. And they use this polarity principle to kind of engage that type of control over people. 
You know, it's crazy. Um, I mentioned on a recent podcast, I hadn't paid for a movie in many, many years. Um, and I forget what episode Jason and I were about to do, but I actually paid to go see Ready Player One because I understood just from the little I knew about it, what was being encoded there. And it is exactly what we see. There are so many things, you know, from the virtual reality idea to all these other things that are controlling a full society. But at the base of it, um, what we're talking about here is culture. Um, and that is one of the key ways we're controlled. And in the movie Ready Player One, the entirety of being a knowledgeable person is whether you can remember who starred in Laverne and Shirley, whether you can remember Fonzie's real name, these kinds of pointless, meaningless bits of information, what we would currently call trivia, to throw back a Roman word into the soup here. My point is, it's actually what we see going on now. When we see this new Marvel movie, which will probably, I think it released on Friday, uh, Infinity Stone or something like that it's called, um, it's probably going to be one of the biggest movies we've ever seen. But in the construct of that movie, it underscores what we're talking about here. Because it used to be we would get a movie like, say, Mar Marty McFly, you know, Back to the Future. Everyone loves that movie. Okay, we'll make three of them. We'll do, we'll do a trilogy. Then we get up to a point where maybe Lord of the Rings is, is done. And so if the first one is successful, we've already planned out the trilogy, which will end up being six movies, but it's a step forward. Now what we're seeing is I heard the other day that there are something like 64 stars associated with the Marvel Universe, and it is all these movies which are actually combined in one way, shape, or form. And what it is is a cultural construct taking over the human mindset in this world. We are truly headed to a point where uh, the next generation behind us, what's considered knowledge, may be not, nothing more than trivia. And I think that fits in tightly with, with the polarity that you're covering here. I'll agree with you 100% there. Basically, uh, their whole idea is to keep people's minds focused on things of no real importance or no real value. And uh, that's what they're doing. It's easier to control somebody that uh, has no idea you're even controlling them. You know, the Marvel movie thing, do you think that they're showing their plans little by little as they progress in the past, I think it's 10 years now, starting with Iron Man 1 was the first one, if I remember correctly, and then moving all the way up to today, we have Avengers Affinity War? Oh, I would say, yeah, definitely. Uh, any of these movies, you could watch for little uh, little nuggets in there that are revealing something, some kind of a telling thing that'll be coming in the near future for us. Well, even the name tells us something, right? It's the Marvel Universe, the one verse, um, and it goes back to your single pole idea. But um, Wayne, do we need to add anything more about polarity, or should we move on down the road? I think for time reasons, we should probably move on down the road. Uh, then the next one we'll talk about is called the principle of rhythm, and everybody's pretty familiar with this. This one basically says there's a time for everything in this system. There's a specific uh, time that's that's meant for every action, every. Everything that there is, there's a certain season for things. And this corresponds directly to the sky clock. So as I've said many times on this show, um, nature appears to be a perfect system from our point of view. And the reason for that is, is that every single thing that needs to happen within nature will happen. Not only will it happen, it will happen when it needs to happen. And there it is. There's the buttress to the statement you just made. And the way they put out calendars and time zones and all that sort of thing, all that butts right up against what the natural law of the sky clock is. It's, again, the synthetic reality that they're giving to us, but which doesn't actually correspond to what nature is giving us. Right. They're trying to give us a new set of correspondences is what it is. It's an unnatural correspondences that don't, uh, don't sync with, uh, with the natural order of things. And that's what's going on. That's why there's so much toying with our calendar. That's why they, uh, 
the equinoxes and everything are out of sync. It's really part of the artificial control grid that they're putting in place. That's why they're blocking out the sun. They're blocking the sky. You go out in any day now, the chemtrails are ridiculous anymore. I've never seen anything like it. It's a white haze all the time anymore. You can't even see the sky. You go out at night. You're lucky if you have a starry night. I don't even remember the last really clear night we've had here. Well, we've had three bouts of winter. It's it's April now, almost the end of April, and you still see so many states that are uh, barely touching into spring. So whatever they're doing, they're doing it well because they're mucking about with the seasons like in a really drastic way. I could see that. I want to ask you, Wayne, a lot of people keep coming at me with this artificial sun idea. There have been quite a number of people going back a number of years now um, who have shown a supposed patent uh, for an artificial sun. And people keep bringing this up. My response has been is that I can't accept it yet because I need my firsthand observations um, or something more than just an, you know, a single video or a snapshot. Um, and this plays into what we're talking about. I mean, if the equinoxes were broken and we could start to demonstrate in some meaningful way uh, that they'd already made artificial means up there, uh, we begin to answer a lot of questions. But I mean, where are you? Have you heard about this idea that they're already trying to employ an artificial sun? Uh, yes, I, I'm quite familiar with this. I actually have the patents in my possession for it. It does exist. It's an actual thing. There's been recent news stories about it. There's, there's actual photographs of this thing uh, online you could find. Whether it's actually being implemented or not, I can't really say for certain, but it would answer a lot of uh, questions. I've seen videos out there on YouTube of people recording these strange strange lights in the sky. Like they'll, they'll show, here's the sun, and next to the sun, there's this smaller light that most people might mistake as maybe the moon, but then they pan the shot over behind them, and the moon's over there. And, you know, you'll have your people argue, well, this is a sun dog, this is this, this is a distortion of the camera, which may or may not be correct. Uh, I've seen it. I really can't speak to the authenticity of it myself, but I'm familiar with the concept. And I, I think it's not out of the realm of possibility of something they would do. Here's what I'll say. My wife and I took four years to do a hell of a lot of filming, and we basically demonstrated that there are these little black round things up there in our atmosphere, in my view, um, having done the pixel size analysis with the optics I was using. But there is technology in our atmosphere up there all the time. We've seen the interesting videos on YouTube that, in my view, would be nearly impossible to fake where there's black dots in front of the sun, uh, sometimes being reflected in ponds. Uh, nearby. And while maybe a Hollywood studio could, in fact, fake these things pretty easily, the average person's not going to be able to pull it off convincingly. There's something going on. But to demonstrate that there is technology up there in your in your line of view with the sun is something wholly different than claiming the light behind that, which we think is the sun, is wholly synthetic at this point. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, Knowing that the equinoxes are broken is the biggest problem I have ever come across, and I'm still wrestling with it. The forums over at Crow777Radio.com are still lighting up with people working on these ideas because they just simply don't match what the old alchemical sciences said was true of an equinox. But anyhow, I kind of feel like like I let us off, off direction there. You want to pull us back, Wayne? Okay. No, I, I wouldn't say that you let us off direction. It kind of ties directly into what we're saying. Everything is uh, cyclical and seasonal, and they're, they're breaking the seasons and the cycles of things. And in so doing, they're creating a different artificial cycle that is really affecting people. I mean, people's health is deteriorating. There's sleep problems people have. Uh, the microwave soup we live in doesn't help either. No, that's really obvious. Just we did a, a medical thing a couple weeks ago, and it's 
absolutely evident that cancer rates are through the roof. You and I are the same age, Wayne, but you remember when we were kids so that you didn't hear about everybody having cancer. Now it's like one out of three and then two out of three, and soon they're saying it's going to be one out of two. That's crazy. So I'd say that this whole synthetic disaster they've got us in is literally killing us. Oh, I would agree. They're, they're pumping us full of poison at every turn. Uh, vaccines alone, that, that one I could go on for hours about. Uh, I won't uh, go into that right now because that's not really our topic today. But I'm actually working on my second book right now, which solely focuses on vaccines. I've said for a long time that the, the, the richest among us in this world with the most power have cheated the average lifespan. I've been working for years to try to demonstrate this in some meaningful way, but it would go in the same way uh, we can make the statement if we don't understand truly what our world looks like, it's quite obvious that it's likely there are land masses we know nothing about. To take a human life and to say shorten it to the 45 years we're told the poor cowboys only live to would make perfect sense if you were trying to put in a control grid. So I I guess I would argue that, well, yeah, a lot of people are going to get sick and die if we keep going down the chemical technological road with no nature involved. Uh, I would point out that those of us that go on and have family trees that go on, we're going to have shorter existences. Um, I think that goes without saying. And then again, maybe that is even mocked in the idea of, you know, those poor cowboys only live to 45. I've taken that apart so many times I won't bother. But I think we're about 15, 20 minutes from the top of the hour and let's try to push through a few more of the principles so that we can get them into the first hour so the majority of people who are interested in this will get a good basic overview. Okay, sounds good. Uh, we're already going on the sixth one, so we could we could definitely tie these in in the next uh, 15 minutes. Uh, the next one we'll talk about, the sixth one, is called the principle of cause and effect. This one's pretty cut and dry for the most part. People are familiar with the whole cause and effect notion. But what the technocrats in charge are trying to do to uh, pervert this principle is they're using a principle that's called retrocausality, which is basically they're trying to invert the cause and effect principle and have the effect happen before the cause is initiated. And they've been showing that this, this can be done through uh, quantum experiments. And this one quantum experiment in particular that shows that this could be done is called the quantum eraser experiment. So if anybody wants to do a little research on that for themselves and draw their own conclusions, I'm not going to tell you what to think with that. It's it's there for them to look at if they want to look at it. Can you give a direct example of how they've pulled that off already? Well, the experiment itself is a pretty cut-and-dried experiment. It's uh, If you're familiar with any type of these experiments at all, it's based off of what they call a double-slit experiment in quantum physics where they show that light could travel as a wave and a particle simultaneously. And they do this by uh, projecting <laughs> photons through a barrier that has slits cut in it. Now, they did a variation of this called the quantum eraser, where they use a device to arc off the laser light that they're using into a filter and bounce it back. And what they could accomplish through this is they could show different patterns on the screen through the, uh, the barrier with that. And they could alter up these patterns where the pattern will actually change before they, they change the direction of the beam through the filter. So it's kind of a creepy thing because it, it'll change to whatever they're going to switch it to. So this test also proves that the first principle mentalism is true because they demonstrated with this test that the simple act of observation changed the outcome of the test. But I will further state 
in the old, old alchemical texts, they refer to almost everything as traveling in a wave, which is interesting, although you will hear the word atom, which implies particle quite often. But um, to sum up real quickly here on cause and effect, I don't think there's any arguing any of these. But when it comes to this woman, I mean, come on, if you throw a pebble into a pond, there's going to be ripples. There it is. Cause and effect. How would that ever be arguable? And I will further add that in some parts of the world, the idea of cause and effect is talked about as karma. It's the basic same idea, and for that matter, it's Newtonian. But go ahead, Wayne. I would agree with you there, definitely. Cause and effect, it's, it's one of those immutable natural laws. You do something, there's going to be a consequence, and that's, that's what it all boils down to. What they're trying to do is subvert the consequence from actually affecting them by having the action perform before there's a possible consequence for it. It's it, kind of hard to explain. I know exactly where you're going with this, but in some ways it does bring you back to mentalism again, doesn't it? You know, in, in some ways they're demonstrating over and over and over that our minds can be used for their benefit. Um, movies are the perfect example of this. Now, what you've just been saying, I would say that kind of harkens back to the old adage that your thoughts create reality and that the elite want to use that by shaping your thoughts so they can get the reality they want. Bingo. You got it. That's exactly what the whole point of that is. They're trying to bring about this reality that they want, and they're going to use you to do it. And once again, these experiments, they do nothing but prove that your observation and your thought does affect reality around you. So with that in mind, mm -hmm. I mean, this is a, a definite natural alchemical principle that they're utilizing and perverting in this way to try and bring about the changes that they want. And every single person listening has just been told why news, media, movies, and TV exist. There it is. Absolutely. You're spot on with that. And this backs up why so few corporations at the tippy top control nearly everything. Agreed. Agreed 100%. Uh, these corporations, when you look at the, uh, the steering committees and stuff on these corporations, you'll see a lot of them, it's all the same people tied back to the same select few people. All right, Wayne, so what's next on the principal list of principles that every human being should have been taught in grade school but have probably never heard about? <laughs> <laughs> they ain't that the truth. <laughs> uh, the next one we're going to look at, it's called the principle of gender, and this one ties very closely to the principle of polarity. And this one right now is being implemented in, in ways in our society that is really definitely affecting the world in, in an, I would say, a negative way. It's horrifying what they're doing. It is. It is. They're, they're basically, they're blurring the lines of gender. And I've said before, in the past, on different shows and stuff I've been on, transgenderism is just one step away from transhumanism. Because uh, when it comes down to it, what they want to do is not only blur the lines of gender, they're going to blur the lines of what humanity is. I agree with that. You can see this. I'll share this with you, Wayne. You're a good researcher. I know you, you kind of have followed some of the work Jason and I have done, but this transgender idea has been a thorn in my side for years. Part of the problem has been the way people talk about it. Uh, someone who doesn't have any basis to start to understand just calls them crazy and walks away, and the conversation is over. But I've been looking at this for literally years because it's not so easy for me to look at, say, a famous actor and try to sum up quickly whether they're more masculine or feminine in their attributes. Sometimes I can 
understand sometimes it's not so cut and dry for me. But I started to look at the naming conventions, and I began to realize um, that all the A-list so-called female actors have a male attribute in their last name, like Julia Roberts or Amy Adams. It's easy to see the male attribute. Some of them are even encoded like Ellen Barkin, Barkin being the reference to a dog or the male idea there. As I started to go through, I began to go through listings. And what I found was, knowing in the back of my mind that like in old theater, supposedly from centuries ago, only men were allowed on the stage. Kabuki theater in Japan did this up quite close to the modern age, but all theater did it in one way, shape, or form where the men were expected to play the women's roles. And as I started to look through modern listings on the classical, like TCM TV movies to do research, what I found was that 90-some percent of all names listed were male, even even when there were more than one lead lady in any given picture. This mold is broken occasionally if it's a predominantly supposed female cast, but, I mean, that's what we're talking about here, Wayne, and I'm trying to work out rules still to this day that demonstrate um, that the transgenderism is being put in front of your face, and I will, uh, before I hand it back to you, I'll close up by saying that everyone should be aware out there that part of the idea of reaching enlightenment is a bit like the idea of polarity, where the negative and the positive, the male and the female, have to be brought back together to bring a being into balance, and that each of us possesses each of these qualities. So I, at, at the root of it, I don't know if you agree with me, I think that's part of what's being screwed with here. I do agree with that 100%. Uh, and how they're screwing with it, uh, specifically, is by trying to completely merge the, your your two aspects, your your masculine and feminine aspect, and and make you basically unisex. Uh, that's what it all comes down to. They're trying to unite these two principles together, and in so doing, they're doing it in an artificial way. They're trying to subvert this natural law by doing something artificial with it, and it's it's just very it's obvious, like all in society around us. If you look at the waves that this has created. It's a strange thing to think about because as I started to go at it and I started to say, let's just accept that that it's a true thing, that this person I'm looking at that's famous is not the gender I think they am. And so I went at it that way. So let's say Justin Bieber was really female, but everyone thinks he's male. And I'm just doing supposition here. And I know there's plenty of people who will say that's true, but I'm just doing a demonstration here. So the effect of that would be that millions and millions of potentially young girls and women around the world have a sexually based fantasy or an admiration for what they perceive as a male, which actually isn't. And I went down that road and then I began to wonder if it's what you're saying, that that's only a stepping stone, that it's leading to something more. Uh, what's your take on it? I would agree with you there. I, it's definitely a stepping stone. And this is, this is one of the favorite tools of the social engineers. It's called the Overton window. And what they do with this is they'll gradually start to shift what the public views as acceptable in little small increments so that they could uh, accept more and more bizarre ideas as being uh, acceptable as time goes on. And this is just one of those small baby steps, like with this whole gender thing. It started first small with, uh, you know, trying to normalize homosexuality and, and gay marriage and that kind of thing. And now we're seeing it's a full-fledged shift into pretty much, you know, anything goes. Like, I forget what it is, but Facebook lists off like 62 different genders or something really, like, ridiculous like that. Well, I'll tell you what, man. When Jason handed me a PDF of your book, 
the, all those months ago. When I hit your work on the Overton window, I thought it was some of the most helpful work that I'd seen in a long time. For the average person out there trying to make their way, understanding how you break down the Overton window is key. And I will further say that the Overton window idea, as you stated a moment ago, is one of the main tools, man. It is the main, it's like the screwdriver or the hammer in the tool bag for the long game. Agreed, 100%. And this is this actually is something that takes advantage of uh, humanity's nature to adapt. And they utilize this in a way where they take advantage of, of this whole idea that humanity will adapt to whatever situation they're put in. So as time goes on and progresses, they take small baby steps with it. You'll learn to accept more and more bizarre ideas as being socially acceptable. And they use this all the time, and they've been using it for a number of years. You know, looking at this from a social engineering aspect, let's take the first half of the 20th century and the media that was put out. There were definitely very strong notions of what the male was and what the female was. Yet all the way up into the 50s and even the early 60s, you still had these very strong lines. The the man was the John Wayne type, that sort of thing. The man was rough and tumble and strong, and the woman was the homemaker and... You know where I'm going with this. I, I think both of you get what I'm saying. What do you think, and I don't care which one of you answers this, where do you think it really started to be pulled away from the, the stereotypes that are basically reality? I think it's in the 60s with the whole free love movement seems like that was the beginning of let's implement how we can start smashing up the norms of society. I'll definitely agree with you there, Jason. Uh... That's, I think that's when the modern equivalent of this really started. I mean, you're talking about the whole Tavistockian idea of uh, this whole counterculture coming about. And then, you know, enter people like Gloria Steinem. And there you go. I mean, this whole uh, feminist movement that came about and everything that goes along with it. Yeah, you know, it's a bit like these churches I see all around in my area where they put a big banner up um, that has the gay, lesbian, whatever it's called, rainbow. There's so many letters to it now, I can't, I can't remember. But to me, you see, this is just a way to keep the issue alive, because if it was truly not an issue, like that banner is trying to convince you it is saying, you would just say all people are welcome. You wouldn't say black people are welcome or white people are welcome or gay people are welcome. You would just say all human beings can pass through these doors. So most people miss the subtle programming that's going on when you see these flags for like the gay lesbian agenda or race or any other thing. You're still singling it out in your own way when you're masking it as if you're not. I mean, what do you think? I agree with you there. They definitely do that. Even this whole symbol that they use alone for this whole movement, the rainbow. This is a mockery of the whole movement, and people That's don't right. realize this. It's it's robbing from the, the hermetic idea, isn't it? It's robbing from the alchemical ideas, isn't it? Definitely. And also, uh, a lot of occultists uh, utilize the rainbow as a symbol for Lucifer. So, I mean, that's that's another thing that they, they throw in these people's faces, that they don't even see it. Most people are, are completely un, unversed in all of this occult knowledge and these, uh, these hidden principles, and they don't understand that. Just even this symbol alone that represents your movement is a mockery of your movement. 
You know, it's a funny thing you bring up the Lucifer idea because as so many people know, you know, he's the light bringer, the light bearer associated often with one of the brightest things we see in the sky, Venus. Um, but anyone who's ever taken a prism out to the sunlight will see a beautifully broken down blending of one color into the next, um, which how the gay and lesbian idea latched onto that. It seems like it was just theft. But anyhow, I, I get the ideas behind both both places. But to me, it's just another way to single out till the end of time the difference of an individual. My point here is this. If you take that same prism in and you break apart the light from the lamp in your house, you'll get what I call false light. There will be black division lines. And in some ways, Wayne, I often wonder if the modern idea of Lucifer is that man-made light, that light spectra with the black lines in it. But before I hand it back over to you, we are getting very close to the top of the hour. Why don't you just list out the remaining principles and with the time we have left, we'll keep pushing through them. Okay, well, those were the uh, top seven uh, hermetic principles that we had already covered. Let's just do a quick recap of them. Uh, we covered uh, the uh, principle of mentalism, the principle of vibration, the principle of correspondence, the principle of polarity, the principle of rhythm, the principle of cause and effect, and finally there was the principle of gender. Now, uh, all of these different principles by themselves, they don't really seem all that intimidating, but when you look at it as a synergistic control system, that the uh, social engineers are using to steer us through subversion of the natural law of things and natural order, you could begin to see that it's really kind of an insidious thing they're doing. There's no doubt. And in my view, these seven principles are inarguable. Um, the first time that I was exposed to them, I think I was in my 20s. And over my lifetime, I've gone back to them many times. In my older life, I've tried to challenge them, rip them, pull them apart. And for the life of me, it is nearly impossible for me to understand how modern science was able to develop in this world, uh, not including these types of provably correct ideas. But uh, Jason, we are getting to the top. Do you want to add anything in here? Well, I'll just could throw out one more thing for everybody here on symbolism. The leader commonly said to be Satanists or more probably more specific Luciferian. And one of their big symbols is the Baphomet, which is a hermaphrodite. Yeah, you know, that that's a tricky thing too, though, um, because then you're going to end up having to go through the Eastern religions where you'll notice the Buddha often has breasts. And that is, in fact, the stated idea there is that the negative and positive polarity of a human being has been brought together. That's being symbolized. The electric, the magnetic, the positive, negative, all that has been pulled together to even out a being. So, um, you know, th this goes to so many places. I mean, what's your take on this idea, Wayne? Uh, I would say this, that this whole idea... I could tell you, I've done some digging recently into a lot of the older mystery school texts and different uh, different works. And one of the things that I have come across is a Rosicrucian teaching. And in this Rosicrucian teaching, they teach that uh, way back in the beginning, before modern man came about, that man was bisexual, like he had both sexes inherently in him. He was male and female, male-female, and he was able to procreate and generate from himself without a partner. And this, this really ties back to a, a lot of the uh, old philosophies, and, and it once again ties back to that whole lineage of Cain thing that I discussed earlier. We could probably go into a little more detail about that in the second hour if you'd like to touch on that. 
Right. I think it's a good point. And what you're pointing out there is not mutually exclusive to Rosicrucianism. And you're going to find it in Hermeticism. You're going to find this a version or a similarity to this idea of uh, unigender or both genders included uh, into one person. I don't want to say bisexual because the modern connotation is wrong. But Jason, we're right here at the top of the hour. Anything you want to add before I wrap up here? I just want Wayne to uh, say the name of his book again for everybody out there because it is a fantastic piece. Okay, thank you. Uh, my book is called The Alchemical Tech Revolution. You could find it on Amazon.com or at any uh, major book retailer. I also have uh, a YouTube page called The Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I also am able to uh, be gotten a hold of at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com, and I also run a Facebook page called Files from the Conspiratorium. All right, so there it is, man. And Wayne, I know you're a member over at Crow Triple Seven Radio, and people may notice I didn't include an episode number in the beginning. The reason is, is because we're doing this as a, an episode that we can bring to bear when we need to do a travel, which we're going to have to do in the near future. Um, so, Wayne, when this goes live, we'll get into the forum. We'll post links uh, under the episode number for members, all the things that need to go with it. We could do the same on YouTube if you like. Anyhow, that does bring the first hour of this episode to a close. Uh, <laughs> I I wish I could tell you how many free episodes will be available at the posting of this, but I'm guessing, if I had to guess, it'll probably fall somewhere around 110, but that is a blind guess. Hope to see you all at Crow777Radio.com for the second hour. Uh, If you choose to become a member, you are, in fact, supporting free speech. Some of the things we will probably get into in the second hour have to do with biblical accounts, the, the lineage of Cain, and this type of thing, and... To be blunt about it, in the open forum at YouTube, this not only causes trouble with a lot of followers, uh, it causes trouble with YouTube itself. Anyhow, there it is, man. Cheers.